Welcome, this is Coppercasts, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical, world of institutional investment in crypto assets. I'm your host, Tyler Kenyon, and our guest today is Kevin Dupatul. Kevin is founder and CEO of Kirok, a leading market maker based in Brussels, trading exclusively in crypto assets. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. So we have um, a lot to unpack here today, I think. Uh, so we're recording sort of mid-November, I think today's the 15th, uh, and obviously everything that's happened in the in the last week has been fairly explosive. But before we get to that fun stuff, let's talk a little bit about you and like where you came from, because I'm, I'm really interested to hear everyone's origin stories. And I know you've been in the game for a while. Like you set up Key Rock in 2017, but what were you doing before that? What led to the founding of Key Rock? So I, I worked actually in management consulting with a firm called uh, Roland Berger, based, uh, based in Brussels. I worked primarily in you know financial, financial services. Um, and it's actually during one of my projects where I didn't have much to do, which was rather rare as a management consultant. Um, I decided to dive a bit deeper into, into Bitcoin. That was kind of a end of, end of 2014, beginning of 2015. And so I really started to dig into it and basically, I, you know, I got, as you know, everybody involved in crypto fell into the rabbit, rabbit hole, so mm-hmm. to speak. So I really uh, want to do more and more around, you know, crypto and digital assets. But as a, a management consultant back then, there was basically nothing to do. Like, you know, our, our clients were very large institutions apart from, you know, publishing a few articles. There wasn't much to do in terms of blockchain and crypto. But so I, I kept on learning and learning about it. And then um, I met my, my two co-founders, Juan David and, and Jeremy, and we started to iterate on, you know, why was the ICO boom happening? Mm. You know, that was, uh, I think, in the course of 2017, you know, what was happening there? Why was it so popular? So, of course, you know, the greed is a very big factor. So when you have ICOs and, you know, potential 100x return, everybody's interested, but we figured there had to be something more, right? And our, our first realization was that the, the interest is in, in digitizing assets is that you give them a lot more potential liquidity. I mean, ICO, ICOs in their original forms were basically a, a tokenized Kickstarter, Kickstarter campaign, right? Why, why was it more interesting than just a Kickstarter? Is because what you got out of it was not just a coupon, but a token that you could actually trade. So you have this logic of having additional potential liquidity. But then at the same time on the market, you see that liquidity is actually a very big problem because the technology is decentralized, so the liquidity is fragmented. And so you have liquidity that is both uh, a major added value of the whole thing, but also a very big challenge. And it's really putting those two things together that led us to to uh, to create to create Kirok uh, end of 2017. Indeed, I think that you know we we popped that previous bubble. Uh, we founded the company the seventh seventh of December 2017, and everything went red for three years after that. So that was a great timing. But um, do you yeah, have any uh, embarrassing self-discovery ICO stories that you invested in that you think, well, that was a bad idea in hindsight? I, I have a few, yeah, but I'm not <laughs> sure I want them recorded. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. You know, you touched a, a little bit there on like the liqui- the role of liquidity in the market, and obviously, um, you guys are a market maker, so that's like fundamental to what you guys do. But I, I guess there might be some of our listeners who aren't quite um, you know, certain on what the role of a market maker is. So, can you just give us like the you know, explain it like I'm five definition, and then something a bit more detailed yeah. as well. So basically, the the liquidity of an asset is your ability to either acquire this asset or get out of it. Right? How easy can you? How easily can you buy or sell it? Uh, basically, as a market maker, we make sure that if you want to sell, we are here to buy. And if you want to buy, we're here to sell. And basically, in the, main, the meantime, you know, in between that buyer and that seller meet, we are there acting as a bridge you know, between the two and basically carrying you know, risk, the risk of the position that, that, that we take, you know, make bridging those two uh, market uh, participants. So basically, our role is to provide prices 
on you know both sides of, of a market on the buy and the sell side basically so this is what we do at the at the heart of it with pricing assets was it difficult in the beginning like 2017 where i mean crypto was such a, a retail driven phenomenon at that point uh, and you know the role of a market maker is much more suited to an institutional environment yeah. so did you need to convince the market did you need to convince investors that there was a role for market makers and it will be central well, i shouldn't use that word it, it will be like you know important to the to the entire ecosystem i mean the thing is that market making is not something that is new or that is you know inherent to crypto you have mm-hmm. market makers on on all markets so to that extent it was easy to show like this is a new market right as on every single market market making is is needed what is very different though is that back then the level of understanding of the role of a market maker was a lot lower than it is now where we see now you know uh, this industry has has matured a lot you know <laughs> there are still some hiccups here and there right but in general I would say that it has matured a lot um, but back then we actually had to explain what we were doing but more importantly what we were not doing and actually the the first slides of our sales presentation was saying that we don't do pumps and dumps we uh, we are not going to create volumes for you that's not what we do if you don't have volume you don't have volume right that's not something that we can change we can make sure that the market is liquid and if people want to trade we'll be there but if nobody wants to trade it's not going to happen so we actually had to go through that ed- educational process of just saying this is what we are going to do this is what we are not going to do these are the incentives that we take these are the incentives that we don't take and so that's kind of the the challenge that we saw in you know when when we got started in, in 2017 but honestly the need for liquidity was so strong that we never had problems in you know finding clients it's you know everything it's it's always been a very inbound inbound business for us because the the, the problem to be solved was you know very much there and is still very much there today yeah i was going to say like i was going to ask about that demand today and and especially in light of sort of what's happening with with ftx and, and alameda i mean we're like a week into the fallout of that so no one really knows where that dust is going to settle at the moment but you know what's been the immediate impact uh, for liquidity providers with with Alameda out of the picture is it is it more impactful on smaller cap tokens or is it affecting the, like the entire market how do you see it I mean we're, it's still very very early to say right I think that mm. for everything that is you know a, a, a lower cap token it's still about I guess taking a bit you know a stock of who's there who's not who was impacted or not so it's not as clear right now yet but very clearly we already see a, a, a a change in the liquidity on the markets. I mean, the type of liquidity that we saw even on, on on the main on the main markets on the on the main the main pairs, you know, uh, both in terms of the spread on those markets, but the also, also the the outstanding liquidity at different spreads. Th- this has definitely been impacted and reduced dramatically over the last week. So there is there is a gap there, and th- that gap is not Alameda only, right? Mm-hmm. It's simply you know an uh, an overall you know reaction of the market towards a, a situation where the risk is dramatically increased, where there is a lot more kind of a, a counterparty. A risk or perceived counterparty risk so you have a lot more assets moving around or being withdrawn from the exchanges and so on and so forth so i mean very clearly the impact on the, on the liquidity has been has been immediate but in our case as a market maker and the clients that we work for i mean we are here for these times that's why that's why we're here basically i've seen you speak a few times and one of the things you talk about is that sort of shift from centralized exchanges to decentralized exchanges or not even a shift to but like the the coexistence of those two yeah. systems in the, in the digital world, do you think, you know, following the FTX Alameda thing, there will be a shift towards decentralized because it's more open? Or do you think because the amount of data and the complexity of the data in that open system is too vast that actually people are pretty basic humans at the end of the day and they'll prefer the simplicity of a centralized exchange system? 
But I think that there's um, there is already a shift to some extent that, that was happening, but those events are just going to accelerate it. <laughs> but when I say a shift, I don't think that we're going to go from a fully centralized to a fully decentralized market. I think that what is interesting about you know the whole development of the technology is that you have options. It's the fact that you are no longer stuck in a paradigm where everything that touches the exchange of value has to be centralized. Mm. But at the same time, it doesn't all have to be decentralized. Now you have a mix of the two. You can choose depending on what your use case is, depending on what your risk appetite is, and depending on you know different steps of the value chain of exchanging assets. And so that, that kind of, uh, of, uh, of evolution towards a, a balanced market, towards some part centralized, some part decentralized, mm. that was already happening, I think it's just going to be accelerated with those events because we see that having something that is fully centralized and not properly um, controlled and overseen leads to catastrophes. So you want to make sure that you take away that trust factor. And how do you do that is by incorporating some decentralized you know, elements into the, the full value chain. So I totally agree that like there will be that demand to accelerate that mm, cohabitation or you know melding to some extent. But you know, I guess one of the limiting factors, especially over the last like three or four years has been the role of regulators or, or lawmakers in this space. And, you know, asking them to move quickly, I mean, you might as well you know, just watch paint dry. It's just can, not going to happen, right? You can like, ask. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, do you think that they will watch what's happening with FTX Alameda and say, okay, we need to get more involved now and actually devote even more time and, and resources to this? Or do you think they'll sit back and say, we told you this would happen. This is your problem. You know, you're not having any of our regulated markets. Just you know, go play in the sand. I think they are definitely going to be more involved because there is no choice. The the thing is that it's just too big to be, like you know, digital assets and crypto is just too big to be overlooked. And when you see those those consequences on you know hundreds of thousands of people, mm. institutions, yes, but a lot of just people, of course they will get involved. And the the, the problem is that. And I mean, the problem, the worry for me is that they are the, the way that they look at the market is going to be like putting the hammer down, but actually on the wrong problems. And, you know, saying, OK, look at all this happen. Let's cancel DeFi or it should be exactly the other way around. It's like the, the problem that happened last week is the, the shortcomings of a of a of central purely centralized systems. Nothing that is decentralized stopped functioning or, you know, had had issues. It's purely centralization. But the problem is that what I fear is that out of a, a centralized crisis, we're going to have a, a kind of decentralized uh, regulation and controls, which is not the way forward. So, you know, what is interesting is I say you can ask uh, regulators to, to move fast, but it's not going to happen. But the question is, do we always need to move super fast? When you see things like this happening, isn't there a time we say, okay, you know what, let's maybe take a bit more, or take our time, but let's do it right. And I would much rather engage into you know, uh, uh, discussions with, with regulators about the, you know, what decentralization brings. And yes, take a bit more time because there's going to be a lot of, of education around it and things that, that, that we need to, to change, but actually do it right to make sure that we don't end up you know, making similar mistakes again. You know, the whole kind of uh, you know, startup ethos of move fast and break things is great, but not when you're talking about financial markets. So at some point, I think that it does make sense to, to take you know, the take your foot off the pedal a bit and say, okay, let's, let's do it really properly this time, right? And I guess, I mean, you must see that from institutional clients as well. They must be pushing for a more considered approach to everything in our industry. Do you, do you get that feedback or is that? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, we have a much longer sales cycles. <laughs> yeah. 
And in terms of, I mean, I've seen you speak before about sort of the dichotomy, like the, the coexistence of the transparency and accountability, right? Like yeah. you need both. Yeah. And, you know, with the DeFi, you get transparency, but the accountability doesn't come from where you'd expect it to come in a traditional market. It comes from Twitter, which yeah. is obviously completely n- new and a little bit crazy to people on the traditional side. But I think it's what is great is that you, again, I don't think it has to be either or, right? I think it's having a combination of the two that is amazing. I think that for some part of the market and uh, for some jurisdictions, centralized uh, oversight has worked. So why put it in the bin? But for other part, it hasn't. And that's where having that, that more kind of, you know, bottom-up approach of um, self-regulation to, so, to some extent, or at least a much bigger involvement of market participants and individual market participants in, you know, self-regulating other actors is a... Uh, is one of uh, the amazing upside of having more decentralization. W- the, the challenge in is in being able to harness both. And you know the example of uh, I mentioned a couple of times where we see you know OpenSea and the, some uh, insider trading issues that were there la- last year. Again, it's not it's not the SEC that that flagged it, right? It's Twitter. Mm. So when you see that more kind of you know grassroots movement to some extent, I think it's extremely positive. The whole challenge again is how do you have you know centralized where it works. Have decentralized where it works and have both type of oversight, oversight, sorry, uh, working together. Because yeah, and you, you guys are based in in Brussels, right? So I mean, you guys are the the heart of the, the EU. You must have watched the the evolution of Mika framework over the past yeah. couple of years. And I mean, do you get did you get a chance to weigh in on it with with lawmakers there? Were you kind of encouraging it one way or another, or looking forward to it at this point? Yeah, I mean, definitely we uh, you know so we uh, we start a company. So we, we are based we are based in Brussels, right? But uh, we're we're a worldwide company. We have, I think, uh, our team members. So today we have 100 people, 25 different nationalities in 30 different countries. We are fully remote companies. Company, sorry. So uh, yes, we we are founded in Brussels, but the reality of it is now that it's it's fully global. But in Brussels, we we started 2017. The thing we did the, the month after that was to go see the the regulator in Belgium. Say this is what we're doing. So what what do we do now? How, how, how did that go? How, how was that, that conversation? Go? It's still ongoing. Yeah. And so, but from the very beginning, we we've taken that that proactive step of saying we, we want to do things right, you know. And for everything that concerns Mika, I mean, I'm extremely hopeful for uh, for Mika. I think that you know it's a it's a great step forward. I think for once, I'm not going to say that uh, you know Europe went went fast about it, but is taking a, a somewhat you know leadership position by giving this very clear framework for the, the you know the, the entire entire union which is positive and we have participated every time we had the opportunity because you know we are active on this market 24/7 so of course there are things that we see that we can that we can share you know with the, with the regulator to make sure that uh, we get the clarity that comes with the regulatory frameworks but we don't get the the excesses that would kill innovation right mm-hmm. and so i think that what what is Maybe a bit worrying about is that so Mika has been what four or five years in the make, making. Hopefully, in the in the course of, of, of next year, or so it's going to actually be, uh, uh, be be live. But then DeFi is not mentioned in it mm. much, you know. And it's better not to be mentioned than to be badly mentioned. But still, it shows that you know we're going to have some work to do there. And the same thing, you know, with uh, you know as soon as AML D5 is active, it's already working on AML D6 and so on and so forth. I think it's going to be the same the same logic with Mika. There is a need to. And it's like an iterative process, yeah. yeah. Um, but they'll just have to do it more quickly, hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> um, so aside from the like doom and gloom, you know, explosions of markets and things that we've seen over the last week, are there things that are exciting you, especially right now in the crypto industry? What projects or, you know, what are you looking at right now and you think this has got potential to change things? But I think, honestly, the, um, 
even the, the situation right now is, is tough, right, for for the market as a whole, but for many as well individual market participants, right, which is is very, yeah, very very tough. But globally, when I look on the market, I actually I definitely think it's a net positive because the entire ethos of you know speed at all cost and you know uh, and money 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 and absolute greed is something that is is going to be I think wa- washed away and changed by events like this. Mm. So some of the excesses of the market are going to to go away, I, I think, and actually give a lot more space and a lot more attention to projects that are building real utility and actually having added value. I mean, at the end of the day, why are we doing what, what we're doing? Like we, there is in the industry a very strong belief that having you know the ability to exchange value in a way that is decentralized is tremendously po- positive for the world as a whole. And you need to do, you know, to, to actually work towards that and not only trade things that serve no purpose and that just have the merit of being volatile. I mean, it has to, there has to be more to it than that. And hopefully these events, and I think they will, will actually you know, push us in that direction. But so that's in general, I would say my where, where my enthusiasm lies with, with these events in terms of you know, specific projects. I mean, there's lots of things that 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 get me uh, you know excited on the market. I mean, of course, given what we do, I think that lots of innovation that we keep on seeing in, in, in decentralized exchange, lots of of, of, of new uh, of new products uh, that are traded uh, decentralized exchange or the de- derivatives are starting to to be traded more and more uh, in decentralized manner is something that's very exciting. Personally, I'm a big fan of also of uh, of uh, uh, NFTs and how uh, tokenization can be uh, impactful to bring liquidity to assets that are really you know very much illiquid and how that also can impact other type of assets, not only just you know think about you know NFTs, paintings, and so on, but around your, your data, your digital identity, all of these things are, are very, very exciting to me, definitely. And you have, you have quite a technological background yourself. Ish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys just launched your first um, like hackathon, right? A Rust yeah. you call it? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, why is Rust technology important to you guys? Why are you backing that so much? So, um, so I, I'm not the CTO, right? So <laughs> my C- the CTO of the company, Jeremy, co-founder, is probably going to listen to some of the things I say now and, you know, and tease me about it for, for, for some time, but fair enough. The thing that we, we were looking at, you know, we are, we're a high-frequency trading company, right? Or uh, as close as it can be in, uh, in, in digital assets. And basically, uh, when we started to, to grow our, our system, we really, from the beginning, wanted to build an infrastructure that would allow us to provide liquidity to all digital assets. In our mind, that is basically all assets in the next five, 10 years, every single asset. And we want to be there to support their liquidity. So when choosing the, the technology that we were going to, to work with, we needed something that was both extremely fast and extremely resilient, and I think that on, on both on both those conditions, uh, Rust, you know, checked uh, checked those boxes, and so we decided to to move forward on it like a, a bit more than than three years ago, and we've been you know, extremely happy with how our technology actually works today, and our system is both very fast and and resilient. So now the challenge is to you know continue to attract more and more people to that that tech because it's still relatively relatively new, right? But uh, the, the, this hackathon and that we organize, but also that uh, others event that we that we sponsor or our participation with the Rust Foundations are all kind of uh, steps in that direction to just push the adoption uh, as much as possible. I'm not surprised you chose Berlin either. I think when we um, we did the Formula E event in Berlin last year, I mean, there was a huge hackathon there that, that weekend as well. There's something about that city that just draws, you know, dev talent, yeah, I think. Yeah, there's a, a tech-y vibe, I guess. Yeah. Um, so what's next for Key Rock? What, uh, what are you guys looking at? So there's um, there are many things actually. So um, I, I think you know we so we, we founded a comp- company five years ago and we really take our we've taken our time to to get things right. 
And um, you know, when we look at what we call our base layer in terms of connectivity to exchanges uh, or partnerships, the capital that we that we have access to, you know, it's kind of our base layer. And there, we've put basically one one service historically, which is you know market making on spot. And where we are now as a company that we are opening our you know ramping up our OTC desk, we're opening our option desk, we're being more and more active on derivatives as well. So the logic for us is to keep on adding those blocks, you know, on, on that base layer that we built. We have kind of a a, a holistic system that allows us to provide liquidity to, to more and more markets so we just passed we just passed 100 people uh, last uh, last week and i think there's no reason we would stop doubling every year so there's still a lot of things for us to build is it hard to find the right people so i remember um you know recruiting even here at copper like so many people want to get into the industry but you know there aren't enough people with the with the right skills or the right experience is it are you finding it challenging to get to get people in the door yeah it is i mean it's but we have an amazing hr team so, uh, so it's, it's <laughs> that really helps. Fine. yeah and i think that also uh, you know being fully remote is mm. is helps a lot because you you have access to a larger pool of talent right mm. and you know we w- when covid hit in march 2020 we were like uh, i think 18 or 20 people and from there on we were full remote so we we've learned uh, to work effectively and efficiently as a fully remote organization and that allows us to have i think the the, the the best the best of both worlds and definitely eases our, our, our ability I mean eases our, us finding good talents. So. Excellent, Kevin. Thank you very much for coming in. Good luck with the growth. Um, I've got a few questions that I ask everyone. If you don't mind running through them, they're meant sure. to be a little bit fun, so you don't have to think too hard about them. Uh, this should be the easy bit. We'll see. Um, okay, so where do you see the crypto industry in one year versus ten years? So uh, in one year, I, th- I I think that you know we will have made a little progress compared to now. But given what happened recently, I think not so much. In 10 years, I think it's going to be much bigger than any of us could imagine. If you could change one thing about the industry, what would you change? I mean, one thing that I would change is the, is the short-term thinking. Because the thing is that this industry, this technology has so much potential in impacting the world in the next you know, 5, 10, 20 years. I think we shouldn't care about maximizing how much money we make in the next one year. So that short-term focus is something that I'd love to change. Is there a piece of technology in your own life that you couldn't live without? My phone, definitely. Okay, what does your weekend look like if you get time off? What are you doing? Um, so I spend time with my wife and my daughter, and I do a lot of sport outside. What's your What's your go-to sport right now? Uh, cycling. Is it like road or mountain? Road cycling. I'm Belgian, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of mountains there. <laughs> uh, okay, um... What movie could you watch over and over again and never get tired of? Movie? Yeah. Gladiator. Do you have any catchphrases or mottos that you live by? Make it work, then make it better. Uh, who should we all follow on Twitter? You can plug yourself here. That's cool. <laughs> no. Uh, or Steph. Yeah, you can follow Steph. He's good. What was the last thing that surprised you? I mean, what happened last week. Yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> Um, who's the next guest we should have on the show? SBF. <laughs> that would be, yeah, if we can get him. Um, okay, so if you somehow managed to meet Satoshi, but you only got to ask one question, what do you want to know? I want his private key. <laughs> okay. Cool. Kevin, thanks very much, man. I've enjoyed this. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. To our listeners, if you haven't already seen Kevin's show and tell video, please go to our YouTube page or you can find it on Twitter at CopperHQ or find it on the website copper.co forward slash insights. There you can also sign up for our newsletter, which includes links to all the week's top stories, as well as any updates from the wider team here at Copper. 
If you've enjoyed listening to the show, please make sure to give us a good review in whichever streaming platform you're using. If you want to get in touch, you can always reach me, Tyler, on Twitter at CryptoTSK, or you can email the show eva.lila at copper.co. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you know someone who should be, please give us a shout. We're here to talk all things institutional crypto. And this show is only made possible because of the technical and creative wizardry of Tally Spear, with support from Maley Mountfort, Eva Lila, and Kate Light. New episodes coming up fortnightly, and in the meantime, stay safe.